coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. It is a deep process, but at the end of it, we become better people and we have better relationships. And I don't just mean romantic. I mean, friendship, familial, everything. Hi, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast, the podcast where you'll meet some of the most fascinating and incredible people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Today I have a really cool guest that I'm kind of curious about and I'm sure that you'll be curious about too. Morgan Bryant, a coach, a trainer, and someone that I sort of met through one of my most recent guests actually. It was Leonardo um, Leonardo (laughs) Castro, that's his name. It's like the most typical (laughs) Latin American name. And how did I just forget it? Uh, I love Leo. And when I recorded with Leo recently, I noticed that you had sort of, I guess on social media, liked a couple of the clips that came up and then I sort of stalked your profile a little bit. And I was like, oh, this person looks super interesting and I'm looking for really interesting people to be on my podcast. So I just reached out to you and here we are. So welcome, Morgan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, did I get that right, coach, trainer? I know that you have been a giver of hugs since 1992 <laughs> as well. I have. I, I give great squeezy hugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I am a personal trainer and coach. I have quite a holistic approach to the way that I train. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a relatively recent transition in my life. Mm-hmm. I actually have a master's in international development and always dreamed of working in developing contexts. And my my research for my master's was around the empowerment of women in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, so I come from an academic background mm-hmm. and my transition into the health and fitness world was actually when I was living in Mexico during the pandemic. So mm. I didn't I didn't choose to live in Mexico. I it kind of happened all quite synchronistically. Mm. And it's something that I have always loved and um, is a very big part of who I am and my belief system. And so, yeah, that was my transition into the the health and fitness world. Yeah, yeah. One of the things sometimes I get people to do before coming on the podcast is give me some notes, give me something to work with. Some of my guests, like Marta from episode nine, for example, has this great big blog that she's written and I'm able to sort of go through it and pick things out that really interest me. With you, I asked you to sort of give me some notes and with one of the notes that you wrote, you started with like at the age of 23 or something, that there was some uh, realisation that you were... How did you phrase it? That was like social projection or something like that. Can you <laughs> can you elaborate on that or maybe do a better job of explaining it than I just for did? For sure, for sure. So growing up, I was always very academically focused. I always had to get the top grades, all of that. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to have, I still remember walking through East Melbourne when I was like 16. I was like, I'm going to have one of these houses one day. Like I was really like focused on, on ticking the boxes and doing, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. But that was kind of the path that I was on. And then I had completed my bachelor and I decided I was going to take a year off before going to law school because I didn't want to go straight into law school and then straight into the workforce. And during that time, I was working in retail with a friend and she had traveled so much 
and she would tell me about all of the places that she had been and it just kind of planted this seed for me and I was like the shop we worked in was also very quiet so we had a lot of time to google search and I was like there's this massive world out there and I think I want to explore it before I continue on this path and it kind of just like led to this period of questioning what I really wanted and I think that I realized that a lot of the decisions that I was making about the life that I was living and the life that I wanted for myself was really influenced by a societal projection of what it means to be a successful, strong, powerful woman. And I entered into this process of asking myself what I actually want. And sure, I want to make my parents proud and all of that. But at the end of the day, this sounds really dramatic to say, but like when I'm on my deathbed, it doesn't matter what they think. What I want is to know that I lived a life that was truly mine and that I was really, really proud of and that I have no regrets. Um, So I took another year off and I started traveling and that was the start of where I am today, really. I never stopped and it's been the greatest journey of self-exploration. Honestly, it's a constant, I always call it a returning home. It's like a constant unpeeling of the layers of myself and, and watching myself evolve in a process where I'm really committed to my own truth and living a life that's truly mine Mm. oh gosh there's so much to unpack there (laughs) and yes it was a bit dramatic but I feel like I feel like there's room for drama in life there's room for less of the drama that we make drama and there's room for more of the drama that's actually the real stuff like hey one day I'm going to die and that means that I should try and live as good as possible and yeah that's good drama I think yeah I I completely agree and I think that sometimes it's an It sounds dramatic, but it's also necessary to look at it through that lens in order for you to actually take it seriously because the reality is that the society that we live in, most people reserve living for when they retire. Mm. And I was like, the things that I want to do with my life, I might not be able to do when I'm 65. You know, I want to go and hike all these mountains and do all these things. And and what if I have kids and a family and, and... all these things that I thought that I wanted, maybe I still do, I don't know, but I don't want to leave it till then Mm. because it sounds incredibly cliche, but tomorrow's not promised. Mm. And yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh gosh. (laughs) I need to take notes on all of these things because it's taking me on so many different directions mentally. But another thing from what you said just then as well is that it kind of reminds me of a conversation that I had with my daughter on the weekend where I don't know who brought it up, I think she brought it up. It was like, she doesn't know what she wants to do with herself just yet. And I was like, do not worry about what you want to do with the rest of your life at all right now. Don't fall into that trap. Because I know that that's a trap that we start to fall into from a young age. Mm. And then, you know, comes that ambition that you had and those projections as well. Mm. But I feel like, yeah, just in context of that conversation that I had with her, it was nice to be here now where I am. And just to be able to look at her and go, don't make the mistake that I made to think that you know enough about the world now to know what you're passionate about and what you really want to do. Just live for a bit. And then maybe when you turn 18 and you finish school, just think about going traveling or something and just figure it out. And Hector Marcel from episode 17 said something really amazing. He said a family friend of his was a, a university professor and ended up looking him straight in the eye and saying, don't go to university. Travel around the world, meet people, look at the happy ones, figure out what they're doing 
and do that. Mm. And I just think that's such great advice. And I ended up giving that advice to Stella, my daughter. But also, how does one come to realize, and you said that this in your notes, you said that it was at the age of around 23. How does one come to realize that they're living, I guess, an inauthentic life, that they're not sort of being the best version of themselves or living the version of the life that they want to live? Where does a penny drop? Because we can get to 33, 43 before we have those realizations. So what was it that sort of forced you or was that moment where you were like, yeah because that's you're lucky that's i i am that's 23 is young for that i am so so lucky and i don't think there's an answer that applies to everyone i think that everyone is unique some people live their whole lives and never realize or never ask those questions but i think for me there was a number of events in my family life which were really it put me in a position where i needed to establish some boundaries And it was also at the time that I stepped onto the yoga mat for the first time and I had no idea what yoga was. I went along because my friend said that she had sore legs from her class the day before and I was like, this would be a good workout. I like like exercising. Um, And I had no idea what I was entering into and the yoga mat really became an incredibly safe space of exploration for me to drop into myself. I have always been a self-confessed control freak, like had to be right about everything, always had to take charge. And that kind of coincided with a process of realizing, actually, I don't want to be like that. I want to live a life in more flow. And yeah, it coincided with a, with a journey of just like self-exploration, I think, and just starting to ask these questions of myself am I am I the person that I want to be what are the traits within myself that actually I don't like when I am likened to other people do I want to be and being really honest with myself and that is a process that I've absolutely fallen in love with and I can say that I am very proud of the person that I've become and I I definitely wasn't always like this and yeah I I think honestly that was the moment for me was really the beginning of a a process of self-interrogation and just asking the big questions of what I want for myself, for my life and and how I want to be in the world. There is some common ground here because I discovered yoga maybe, I don't know, I can't remember how old I was, 33 or something. And that was huge for me Mm -hmm. as well. And I love the way that you phrased it. Was it like, did you say like a safe space where I could... Like begin to explore myself a safe space where I could begin to explore myself. Yes, I love that. That's so what yoga is, isn't it? Mm. And I feel like I'm not the only one. I've had a discussion with someone in the past where it was like, oh God, yes, my life changed when I discovered yoga. And that's that's really what it is. You kind of sit down, you shut up, you take instructions and you feel yourself. Like not only physically, but like emotionally. You're like, oh, this stretch is hard or this position's really hard. But the practice of yoga inherently requires one to sit with themselves. Mm. And that's not something that we do very often in this society. For sure. And I think especially if you're a personality type that defaults to managing and controlling and, and reeling in, which is what I'd always been, to just sit there in the discomfort and just allow things to be was was really life-changing for me Mm. Um, and one of my first yoga teachers always said to me that your yoga practice actually starts when you step off the mat 
and that what you practice and what you learn on the four corners of your mat means nothing if you drop it the moment that you step outside that room. And that always stuck with me because it means that the the peace and the surrender and the softness that I experienced on the mat, it means that I can experience it anywhere and I can experience it in all aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You hear so many, so many beautiful life truths when you're sitting on a yoga mat. Mm-hmm. I feel like yoga teachers are just, yeah, they're right up there for me. Yeah. With some of the best wisdom sharers you can find um yeah i love that we we got here and this it's really typical of us whenever i record with someone it's really typical before i turn the mics on to you know start just chatting about stuff and for people to start like giving me all of this amazing gold (laughs) yes and i'm like wait wait i haven't record yet and that's kind of started happening with us and there's a couple of things that we talked about before that i wanted to sort of touch on with you for the audience here but fast forward to now and you're now into training and coaching you've been traveling you you lived in mexico you've had a complete life change from what i'm picking up (laughs) and so how does someone know that there's value in their life experience that they feel like they should share with others that's a challenging question by the way that is a really big question i'm so sorry (laughs) i just planted that on you no, and, and I think this is this is also interesting because I think that it was a really big question for me as well in terms of there's so many coaches out there. What do I have to give that they don't? And what sort of authority do I have in this space that someone hasn't already claimed, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that for me growing up, I guess we've probably got to start in my teenage years where I had a very serious eating disorder and... From that, through my recovery, I adopted and maintained a very anti-diet approach to life. And I am so, so blessed that I live a completely recovered, very, very healthy life. I have such a free and loving relationship with food and exercise. And I really see it as a fundamental pillar of my mental health. And I think that health is so holistic and I'll go back into that in a minute, but I thought for a while I didn't think that I belonged in the health and fitness world because if I don't weigh myself and if I don't believe in weighing my food and these sorts of things, then there's not really space for me in that industry because that's what that industry is about. And then I realized that actually what I want is for every woman to experience the peace and love and joy that I experience when I train and I think just like the the level of peace that I have achieved with my body as well and to see my body is so capable and there's so many reasons to train it, to eat well, to practice mindfulness that has nothing to do with your weight. And I have this conversation with clients all the time in terms of adherence to their to their program. And it's like, I was really busy. Oh, I'll start next week, mm. next week, next week, next week. And you always hear it. You know, I, I don't have time to work out. I, I don't have time to eat healthy. 
I whatever it is, and I'm just like, this is your freaking health. Mm-hmm. Like, and not just your physical health. It is your physical health. It is your mental health. It is your energy levels. It is your connection to yourself. It is your bone density. It is the ability to actually be here on the planet and participating in life during your retirement for all of those milestones. And I'm just like, how can you say you don't have time for this? Like, what is actually more important than taking care of yourself? And yeah, it still baffles me. It's I, like, I understand it in a sense because people don't view health in that way. And I think that is a really important question for me to ask people. Yeah. But as a coach, I was like, I want to be the coach that I wanted for myself. So I think that is how I came to claim authority and to take up space in an industry where my approach is not necessarily commonplace Mm. and that I'm not the coach for everyone. Mm. I don't seek to be the coach for everyone, Mm. but I believe that I have something really, really valuable to provide to people, to their lives and to the industry. Mm. And yet that belief in myself and what I have to offer is is how I ended up here. Yeah, I really like that actually. I really love what you just said there that you're not the coach for everyone because your journey has been one where you've got certain experiences and gained certain knowledge, acquired certain wisdoms and peace of mind and that that's what you know that you have to share and that not everyone might need what you're offering but there are people that you know will kind of be on that sort of similar journey to what you were on. Um, is it specifically just women that you work with as well or are there sometimes men that like your approach? There are men that are interested, but I I do just work with women, yeah. Yeah, it's been a theme of your life so far since you were studying international development, right? To, yeah. to work mainly with women. I've honestly never really thought about that, but when you point it out, yes. <laughs> and so, like, do you mind if I ask, look, why is that? Was there a role model or something that you had, or like a female role model or someone that you look up to? Not necessarily. I think that in my later teenage years, early 20s, I was very committed to my own empowerment as a woman and my own independence. And so that was very much like a personal journey. And obviously that influenced my values. I think that whenever you're talking about international development, it is very natural that the conversation is steered towards women. Yeah. And honestly, I kind of fell into that area of research. I actually I actually went into international development wanting to work in corporate social responsibility. So I wasn't fully committed to the development world yet. Uh, yeah. And then I got in and was like, corporate social responsibility is nothing but marketing. Yeah, so true. And I became really disgruntled with the development sector. And there was a couple of research questions that kind of we were given and, and I picked them because they sounded like the best. And then it kind of just went from there and I just developed my interest I went to India a couple of times my research focus was actually mainly rural women in South Asia so India and Nepal and going there a couple of times and then experiencing the context firsthand kind of just perpetuated that but I don't think it was ever it was never like an intentional decision in that sense Mm. Um, Just go with what you know, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I think that then when it comes to training and coaching, as a woman, I know that I grew up with such a heavy focus on having to look a particular way and that weight is incredibly important Mm. and... And and I think that pressure is more so and different for women than it is for men. There's absolutely expectations on men as well. But I think that the social pressure is different for women. Mm. 
so that's why I really went into women's coaching because I share my coaching from my own life experience as well. Yeah. Enjoying the episode so far? Be sure to follow us and leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. I really want to explore that with you, actually, because I feel like I'm naive and sheltered in many ways in life. And I feel like I have a lot of experience in the things that I know and do well. So I'm not claiming to be a total naive person. Um, But one of the things that's kind of baffled me, I think, over the last 12, 24 months was hearing a lot of what you just said, you know, that the expectation of women to look a certain way is just and has been for a very long time and we could go back to the 50s or whatever and the ideal housewife but a lot has changed especially since like the 80s and 90s and what i've seen recently is yeah some interesting things and i'm not sure how everyone would feel about this but i feel like the people that put most pressure on other other women are other women and I think there was maybe a post from you or someone that I saw recently that was like real women have each other's backs or something like that which I really loved because I feel like we have to have these conversations a little bit more it's like when we're talking about women's empowerment and women breaking free from societal expectations I want us to just sort of take a step back a little bit and go hang on these societal expectations just because we're not talking about we're talking about women doesn't mean we're talking about men projecting certain views on women. I feel like it comes from women as well. Oh, absolutely. You cannot talk about women's insecurities or their relationship with themselves without talking about the fact that women are always pitted against each other. In popular media, like I remember growing up and reading, you know, teenage magazines and it's it's always women against women and even this really I think common mindset of oh if she's beautiful she must be dumb or if she's beautiful she must be a bitch if she's successful she must have stood on other people to get there you know a woman can never stand in her own light she is never seen as being beautiful and intelligent and successful just because she is and I think that when you also take a step back and actually look within yourself and realize that all of these ideas that we have about other women are projections of our own insecurity then it also all starts with us as women because we tear other people down because it makes us feel better about ourselves and this is where it may have been a post from me that you saw I'm not sure but I truly believe that strong women and women that are are grounded within themselves and are sure of themselves they don't tear other women down They're not jealous of other women because they know that just because another woman is beautiful or successful or intelligent or whatever, that doesn't mean that I'm not. We both can be. Beauty, success, whatever it is, it's not a pie. (laughs) Like, we can all have it. Yes. You know what actually reminds me, and for some reason, I've just been taking the conversation to skateboarding a lot with my guests because I was a skateboarding instructor. And one of the things that I realized when I went from sort of cruising to buying myself like a a street deck and trying to go to the skate park, and this was like in my early 30s, by the way. So I'm surrounded by like young kids, you know, like small children that are doing cool stuff. One of the things that I realized really soon, and, and like a skate park, like think about a skate park. If you're listening right now, think about a skate park. You look at it and it's intimidating. You go, you go there and you're like, oh, God, I don't even want to try doing anything around those kids because they'll just laugh at me. Yeah. Um, turns out that when I went there and was sort of, you know, lurking around the park and just trying to like drop in and 
cruise around the bowl or whatever. Turns out a lot of the kids were really interested. And very quickly, I realized that skateboarding, the like real good, like real skateboarding culture is actually one about empowering your peer, whoever else is at the park. It's like clapping them where they're at. You're all acknowledge that you're all on different levels. You all have these different capabilities and experience and like you'll see someone pull off a trick and then the guys grab their boards and like clap them against the ground at each other and then I saw this at the Olympics this was replicated at the Olympics and that was kind of like a real moment for me where I was like yes we have these cult like these cultures or these tendencies in society to pit people against each other whether it's men or women and that is echoed or amplified most in sport in the sporting arena and then the IOC does something nuts like allow skateboarders to now be in the Olympics. And for the first time ever, we're seeing people that aren't winning medals clapping the people that are winning the medals or getting higher scores than them. And the ones that are sort of at the top and getting the high scores clapping the ones that just sort of, you know, didn't do their best run or, or fell off or whatever. I was like, oh man, that's so powerful. Like that's just such a powerful way to be in general, not whether you're a man or a woman or a skateboarder or a surfer or an Olympic swimmer. Absolutely. To want to see the people around you win and to share in their joy is, I think it, unfortunately it's something that's really, really rare because so many people do feel insecure about themselves and they feel like if someone else is succeeding, then that highlights within them in the areas that they're not, that they wish that they were. But I really want people to see that as an opportunity to go deeper within yourself and to realize that that's actually on you and it has nothing to do with the other person and to use that as an opportunity for growth because I think the world would be a way better person if we experience joy from lifting other people up. Yeah, the world would be a better place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. And you mentioned earlier that there was a, a couple of things that were coming up in your coaching sessions in general. One of them was sort of, you've already covered it around people deprioritizing health. Do we need to unpack that a little more? Because I think there's more to that. If I can add that in education, we've got all these classes right? and there's and then there's this one class for like an hour a week called phys ed. Yeah. And then there's all the other classes where you sit down and you're writing and you're learning science, maths, English, whatever. Mm. You know, it's pretty similar around the world. Mm. And I'm interested in your take on that. Do you think that you know these habits are formed at a young age or do you feel like actually at any point in your life you can just form new habits i think that the behaviors that we see modeled for us within our families honestly have a a massive impact if you come from a family where taking care of your body and your mind is prioritized then naturally you're going to grow up prioritizing that as well However, I also think that there comes a point in our adult life where we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And I think that it's really easy to say, to blame it on families, whatever, the school system. You know, do I think that children should be more active? Sure. But I think that as autonomous adults, there comes a point where you have to say, actually, this is what I want for myself. And there are gaps in education, but... We live in 2023. If you want to know something, you can you That's can find true. out about it. So true. There is Instagram, there is TikTok, there is Google, there is absolutely YouTube. everything. Yeah, exactly. Like 
there is all this information available to you and for free. It's not a lack of information. It's a lack of interest and prioritization. And that's why I talk about values and how I think the problem is that people actually see health as a destination. It's it's something that you get to. It's 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 a box that you tick. When it's not, it is it is a part of who you are and it's a part of who you are from the day you're born until the day that you die. And I think that when we look at it as building blocks, I say in in my work that it's becoming the best version of yourself. And that is mentally, physically, spiritually. And because there's so many components, whether you move or not, you know, whether you're outside in fresh air, walking around, whether you're training, whatever, that impacts so many, so many parts of who you are. It impacts your mental health, your your energy levels, your concentration, the way that you perform at work. Like you keep telling me that you're too busy working, but you don't have time to go outside and get fresh air, vitamin D and move your body when it would improve your performance. I just don't think that you can divorce the conversation around health from honestly anything else in your life. And while you can blame it on a number of other factors, I think it's just to do with the fact that people don't view it that way. They don't prioritize it. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand or view it through a lens of impacting actually who and how they are as a person. Mm, Yeah. You talked about us as autonomous adults. And I have some challenging notions around that. And one of my favorite sayings, maybe I've already said this on the podcast before, I'll probably say it again, is that you don't know what you don't know. It's one of my favorite sayings because I've moved jobs around a little bit and I've tried a lot of different things and I tend to be a bit of a lone wolf. I think part of it is just how I've developed and part of it is, you know, being a man. You know, we're not the best at asking for advice (laughs) collectively. Um, Some of us are better than others. Some of us are definitely worse. I put myself somewhere around the middle to the lower ranges of, you know, asking people's opinions and that's okay means that I'm just extra need to be extra good at researching stuff and along the way when I research things is I find out something that oh gosh I should have known this or found this out earlier and I probably could have if I'd asked someone but I didn't know what I didn't know or maybe that doesn't happen maybe someone comes along and finally fills in a gap for me that I had no idea was even a question to ask. And so you talk about us as being autonomous adults. And if you take my notion of you don't know what you don't know, if someone's just walking around not understanding about the sunlight, the daylight, the fresh air, the exercise that they need, do you think it's okay for someone to just sort of like walk up and be like, hey, you need to like figure it out. (laughs) Yes, there you go. Uh, I was looking for all kinds of ways of saying that that weren't that well positioned, <laughs> weren't they? Um, yeah, I mean, I I do agree with you that, that you don't know what you don't know. And I also have to constantly acknowledge that I grew up in a very health conscious household. Also, because of my history with an eating disorder, I always grew up knowing what energy balance was and knowing the way, you know calories in calories out all of these sorts of things so I from a very young age knew what foods you know contributed to better health and worse health and and I've always had an interest in it that is the other thing so I do definitely have to acknowledge that knowledge is power and that people don't know what they don't know but I I think when I say like we're autonomous adults I more I more think that I want people to take responsibility for for themselves and for their lives. And I think that it's so easy to 
to put the blame always onto someone else or something else. And if we have that mindset, we just become like victims of our own lives. Mm. And okay, maybe you don't know yet that getting vitamin D and fresh air and moving your body is going to improve your mental health, but you should know that you feel like shit and that you don't want to feel like shit. And that's on you. And you should be asking why. Exactly. And that question is on you. I actually don't want to live my life with no energy, feeling lethargic, all of this, feeling irritable. I want something to change. Now I'm going to go and look for answers. Yes. Yeah, I like that. It reminds me of a journey that I've been on recently, actually, where I decided to cut out alcohol. Not that I was a big drinker, but I could drink too much whenever the occasion came up, which is common here in Australia. In Australia, it's very common. Yeah, like been drinking, right? Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's even... Like, for me, it was even problematic, except I didn't go into a situation with a limit in mind. Anyway, what I decided to do earlier this year was go, right, I'm just going to cut out booze altogether, indefinitely. And one of the things that I started to notice after about seven or eight weeks, and it's only been 10, so a couple of weeks ago, I was like, wait, I'm still waking up every morning feeling like shit. Like, I have a headache every morning, and I feel lethargic and tired, but yet I've been in bed for eight hours, you know, and that should be enough. And so I've gone down these rabbit holes of research trying to understand what's happening. I got a sinus infection and before you know it, I'm doing all this research on our airways, on mouth space, Um, serendipitously, this clip about some guy talking about mouth widening was on Joe Rogan, just popped up in my feed. It led me down this track to discover like these orthodontic practices that specifically focus on mouth widening rather than teeth straightening, which is better for the airways. And then it turns out that both of the clinics that are recommended uh, here in Melbourne are within like one kilometre either direction of where I live. So it was kind of like, oh, I think I'm on the right track here. Like the universe (laughs) is trying to tell me something. But what I mean is that when I decided to go, right, I'm going to cut out the drinking, What happened like six or seven weeks later is I finally had space to ask myself a question around why I was still feeling like crap. When I just thought it's because I'm 38 and hangovers just last seven days now until the next hangover. (laughs) Um, That's what I thought it was, honestly. And then I'm like, no, hang on. It's been more than seven days. Actually, it's been eight weeks and I still feel like crap. Like, why is, like, what is that? And so... Yeah, I feel like asking yourself the question, developing that awareness is so important. And I feel like, you know, if you don't know how to do that yet, what you were talking about earlier, just go to a yoga studio and do yoga for a while. If you do it long enough, and it might only take you a week or it might take you a year of doing yoga, you will start asking yourself questions or noticing more about yourself. For sure. And just start like surrounding yourself with people that ask those sorts of questions as well. Like everyone else at the yoga studio. Yeah, exactly. Whether that is yoga, there's also, I didn't realize how many cool like conscious communities there were in Melbourne. There's, I started going to cold ocean dips at sunrise because I wanted to be a part of a community that was health centered. I don't drink. And so 
none of my socializing is centered around that. And, and I wanted to be a part of a more health conscious community. So I started going to those sorts of events because I wanted to be surrounded by those people. I want to be continuously asking those questions because it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you honestly lose it. And it's inspiring to continue on your journey when you're surrounded by other people that are also on that journey. So whether that is a yoga studio, whether it's a group meditation, whether it's anything, putting yourself in an environment where those sorts of questions and that sort of connection to self is central. Mm. And so, I mean, like you've, you've come leaps and bounds since your teen years, since the international development studies. And it sounds like you're definitely a beacon for people now with all of the things that you've learned about life and yourself and through your lived experience. Um, what are you struggling with at the moment then? What's the challenge for you right now? Um... I feel I'm, like- I'm still human. I have a lot of challenges. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think, so I'm going back to Mexico in a couple of weeks. I'm actually, I'm going to Nepal with my dad and then I'm going back to Mexico. And since coming back to Melbourne, I've always lived in Melbourne. I've been back here for a year. I did leave again for four months, but I just haven't felt at home here and I came to really realize that I thrive in a small community and I thrive in a really interconnected community and going back to kind of threads that we've covered in our conversation when we talk about people that really celebrate each other's wins and really want to see the people around them succeed even when you're all working in the same industry like to be a part of a community like that is really really special but also just to live a really interconnected life I was shocked when I came home and I wanted to see my friends and I had to wait two weeks I'm like what I'm used to seeing my friends like every day and at 10 minutes notice and Some people don't like that, but I really thrive in that sort of environment. And so I have no expectations for what it's going to be like going back. It's been a year since I've been there, so we will see, but I want to try. And that's a way of life that not everyone understands. I work for myself. I have intentionally designed my life in that way because I want to be location independent. A lot of people don't understand the fact that I studied for six years and now I'm doing something that is completely unrelated as well and I think that I am still going through this process of really sticking to my guns and continuing to follow what feels right for me and for my life even when I experience quite intense resistance from people around me and people that I really love and care about and I do have to acknowledge that even with all of my traveling and wildlife choices and all of that that by and large, I was morally supported by my family. My dad actually once said to me, well, I'm not going to tell you what I think because you don't care anyway. (laughs) He said, you're going to go and do exactly what you want anyway, so you don't need to hear my opinion. I said, great. I'm I'm so glad we're on the same page with that. (laughs) But, you know, it is hard to have people around you very vocal in their resistance or I, I feel honestly even like committed to not understanding me and what I want. And that can really hurt because you want the people that are close to you to want to just want you to be happy, right? Isn't that the ideal situation? Yeah. It'd be nice. Um, but I think that when I look at it through the lens of they're coming from their own position, they have their own kind of needs and desires to have me close or, you know, want me to make safe choices or whatever it is. I can have compassion for their position, but... At the same time, that is a challenge. And I think I'm still human. I still have these feelings of, you know, 
not doing enough sometimes, not being enough, not necessarily being where I want to be or still feeling far from where my goals are. I think that I have these like big visions for what I want to create for my business and it feels so far away sometimes, but but that's okay. I, I think it's just learning to take one step at a time and to not get overwhelmed by the vision and by the plans. Yeah, actually, there's a couple of things there. Firstly, you did this intentionally to mess with people, didn't you? To study for six years. And <laughs> then just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think sometimes in life when people hit us with their opinions, they're like, oh, oh, you think I studied for six years and then completely changed my mind on what I wanted to do just to mess with you. Well, gotcha. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like, yeah, we live in a society of really strong, that's polarizing. I feel like, yeah, when you said that you feel more at home in those more like more interconnected communities i just think about the time when i was back in italy like eight months ago nine months ago or something and i was in this little town called tavernelli and like everyone knows each other and it was a blast like just i just felt so welcome and i i really love that i think also there's a very singular lifestyle in melbourne as well and so yeah single file exactly yeah and that's fine if that's truly what you want i know that it's not what i want but also i have a lot of i think compassion and understanding for people that don't understand what i want because they've never seen it they have never seen a digital nomad who works for herself and works a limited number of hours per week because that's what she said that she wants to work and still has time for all of these fun things and is still successful and lives an incredibly happy and abundant life they've never seen that in action and so I also don't blame them for not Mm. understanding or for having fear around the choices that I've made. It's alien. You're right. Yeah. And so I'm so lucky that I honestly just drew a wild card and decided to stay in Mexico in Feb 2020. And I was exposed to this whole other way of life. Mm. And I think that if I hadn't seen it and experienced it and been surrounded by it every day for two years, I probably wouldn't believe it was possible Mm. either. I would just think that it was a nice inspirational meme on Instagram. But when these are all of my friends and the people that I'm surrounded by and I watch their success and the abundantly happy lives that they live and also I've experienced it myself, I want more of that. Yeah, yes, I do love that. Hey, not to get off that track because I I love that track, but I think we've kind of explored that enough. Yeah. We were talking off air about goals and I said to you that I've had really ambitious goals for this podcast and it sometimes inhibits because I have a full-time job as well it sometimes inhibits my ability to yeah I'm making excuses (laughs) (laughs) I feel like because I've got such aggressive goals or targets that I set for uh, you know how many recordings I want to do this year with people and then I said to you you know what come to think of it I've never really been a great strong goal setter and you kind of gave me this wry smile and and I was like, oh shit, have I opened up a can of worms here? Have I just like revealed myself? But I think that's one of the things that I actually really like about myself is that I've kind of learned, well, it's taken me a long time to be honest about the shit that I suck at and to be vocal about it, you know, and tell that to other people. 
because what I learned is because I'm not very good at asking questions, like I said before, is that, hey, if I just like open up about this thing, maybe um, someone will voluntarily give me some really great advice. So maybe that's what I was doing with you before when I was like, you know what, I know you're a coach, I know you're a trainer. By the way, I'm really bad at setting goals. <laughs> we could psychoanalyze that for a little bit. Um, and I think you started to. You were like, oh, if you set goals, there's a risk of failure. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe that's why I stay away from them. Yeah. Cool. God, you, yeah. Like you rattled me and changed my life instantly before we even turned the recording <laughs> on. But I think that's an interesting thing to explore for people. I've been having conversations with friends and, and all kinds of people lately. And yeah. I want to talk about goals with you. I want to talk about that. Is that part of your practice, your training? Um, what are the main behaviors that you see around goals? There was this one notion today that I saw online from like a podcast episode about this person talking about, you know, when you set yourself a goal in life, you need to know what the worst case scenario is because there's research that suggests if you know what failure looks like, that'll propel you towards mm. success. I'm not sure about that. It's kind of just something that sat with me today. That, that, that is interesting, um, that notion. I, I will come back to that. I think that goal setting is really important because it gives meaning to what we're doing, especially if we are wanting to progress in any way, then how do we know if we're progressing or not, if we're not setting goals? And I don't think the goals have to be these massive, lofty, in 10 years, I want to achieve this. It doesn't have to be that. I always say that I think the goals should be achievable, but just out of reach. You, you need to push to be able to achieve them, but you've got to be able to achieve them because there's nothing more motivating than achieving your goals as well. It, there's a sense of satisfaction that's tied to it. There's yes. a job well done. There's... You know, so, so there's so many positive reinforcements that come from mm. achieving goals. Mm. So dopamine that people talk about. <laughs> yeah. But, but in terms of kind of what is often referred to as like negative motivation, right? So you've got like positive motivation where it's like, I, I want to achieve this. This is what I'm going towards. And negative motivation is often quite criticized. But I think that it has its place. And I think that... A conversation that I often have with clients around adherence and, and what we were talking about before is that what is the cost of you not achieving this? Mm. And I think that it's honestly important to think about that question because it, it gives you perspective. Some goals might be really, really important to you. The, the Sorry, the cost might be really high. So therefore, you should prioritize that goal and it's likely going to motivate you more. If there's a goal that kind of sounds nice, but it also doesn't really matter if you achieve it or not. It's not really going to change your life. Well, that's also going to, at the outset, kind of provide you some some context for, honestly, like how motivated you're going to be, how disciplined you're going to be. So, yeah, I think the goals are really important, but I think that we also need to be self-aware in our goal setting as well. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, is that something that you work with your clients a bit on? For sure. Like goal setting. Well, yeah, we, we do goal setting for everything because if you're training, how do you know if your program is working or yeah. if yeah. you're achieving what you set out to do? If, if you get a coach, it's because you want something to change and then you don't know if you're changing or not, if you know, you're not working towards a goal. Yeah. But I do think also like on that and in terms of a fear of failure, people do often have a resistance to setting goals because of a fear of failure i think everyone has a, a fear of failure it's a, it's a natural human thing yeah. but i think we just need to be okay with sometimes not succeeding you know we live in a society kind of we've been talking about this is the thing that's been going through that's so obsessed with winning and and winning is the only option but reality is 
we probably won't win all the time and just get back on the horse. I lose a lot. <laughs> yeah, like but we don't need to think of everything as so black and white. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to lose. <laughs> it, it is. You, because you it, learn it, something. It, like, exactly, exactly. Mm, 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 yeah, I do like that notion. Okay, we're going to change up the conversation a little bit. Oh gosh, my microphone's moved. Um, and I wanted to, I want to ask you about travel because I know that you've got some things to say about that. And yeah, I, I really am interested in your travel journey and your travel stories. And you mentioned to me that you've travelled a lot on your own, which I think is the best way to travel. But talk to me about that and what does that solitude mean to you as well? Mm, I like that question. So my first quite long solo trip was when I was 23 and I went to Southeast Asia for seven months. It was off the back of my first breakup. And for me, I wanted to, as much as I wanted to explore and experience the world, I really found that when I was by myself as well, I was free to explore myself as well without the ideas and projections of the people that had always known me and always known who I was. And this is why when when I referenced um, kind of like a coming home, it was, it was like a, a peeling off of the layers and coming to really understand what I cared about in the world. And when I took away what everyone else believed about me and believed what I cared about, then who was I? And so I think that the solitude really gave me the freedom to explore the parts of myself that I didn't get at home. So that was what kind of first attracted me to traveling by myself. I also didn't want to be tied to anyone else's agenda or what they wanted to do. And I still remember so clearly my first night of traveling by myself. And I went to a restaurant and I was sitting there by myself at a table. This was pre-Wi-Fi days. So, you know, not every cafe had Wi-Fi. Pre-Wi-Fi? Yeah. Oh, well, not as in pre not as in pre-Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi didn't exist, but it wasn't commonplace like in, in cafes old. and restaurants. I, I look great for my age, huh? No. <laughs> um, no, but as in like it wasn't commonplace for every little Wurrung to have was Wi-Fi. In black and white. <laughs> there was no internet. <laughs> um, but there was no Wi-Fi at this cafe and I just had to sit there. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable and being like, all these people think that I'm so crazy and weird because I have no friends. And it was, it was the most foreign experience to me. And then as time went on, I became more and more comfortable with it. And um, I've never, I've never stopped taking myself out for dates now. I I love taking Mm. myself out for dates, but there was this real realization at one point when I was going to these little towns where there was very few people and I um I wouldn't really research but I did buy a Lonely Planet guide and I remember being I don't know in Cambodia or something like that and I was on a bus and I was actually planning on going to another town and I ended up just getting off halfway and I, I saw there was a town I saw there was a half page in Lonely Planet and I thought cool, there must be something to do there, let's see. And I just got off and I had no idea and no plan. And I loved that freedom. I thrived on the freedom of not having to ask someone else what they wanted to do. But I I also really came to realise that there was great power for me in learning to be alone and not lonely. And I came to really, really value my own company and 
time by myself and I love to just take my journal and sit in a cafe and just write for hours and I never know where it's going to go when I put pen to paper. Really? Never. No agenda. No agenda. I'll just start writing. It just writing. starts coming out. It just starts coming out. So and then good. if I don't know what to say, what to write next, I just ask why. And then I just keep going. And that has actually been the single greatest tool of, of self-development Journaling. and self-understanding for yeah, me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. Journaling about a conversation that made me feel uncomfortable. Mm. And it's why. And then why again. And why again. And you go deeper and deeper. And next thing you're back in your childhood. Oh, my God. Yeah. Every, so every time I have any sort of triggering or emotionally strong response to anything, you better believe it goes in my journal. It doesn't go in my journal in terms of a like, you know, dear diary, got to let this out, but it's a why. And, and I can't think about it because if, if I just think about it, then it stays in my head. But when I write, it allows me to order my thoughts and to actually see things in a more objective sense. And the route that I go on in coming to understand so many of my behaviors and my patterns and the way that I am in the world. I don't think that I can talk about my evolution as a human without talking about journaling. Well, Morgan, I've got a surprise for you. I actually have your journal right. (laughs) You better have a suitcase because I think there's about 25 of them. Sounds like you write a lot. 25 sounds about just. But yeah, so that was kind of like how I fell in love with with traveling by myself. And I always knew that I wanted to go to countries that were culturally really different from where I was from. I wanted to learn about the world. Mm. And I found it really exciting. I found these challenging situations so intriguing. And shit doesn't always go right when you're traveling either. Actually, very often it doesn't. And there is something so satisfying and confidence building in yourself when you come home or you get to the end of it and you're like, I did all that by myself. I actually, I don't, I don't need anyone. And I, and I don't mean that in an unhealthy way, because I think that a lot of people say that. And I actually think it's very unhealthy, but in a sense of like, I can take care of myself in this world. And I trust myself to be able to make decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's okay to, although it could be toxic, you're right, to say that you don't need someone in your life. I think that we all get into relationships for all different kinds of reasons. And a lot of those reasons can be the wrong reasons. But it's nice when you're not in one or you spend some time alone and when you realise how capable you are. I also really love when I reflect on my last relationship, for example, and you know how how good we were as a team because of our differences mm. and not i guess the opposite side of that which is like oh how much i just can't stand that person because of how different we are mm. i think there's a lot of liberation in learning how to be on your own like you said like alone but not lonely mm. i also think there's great liberation if you're not on your own and you're in a relationship in understanding what opposite attributes that person that you're with brings mm. that are beneficial to the togetherness that you have. Absolutely. Whether you're alone or whether you're in a partnership with someone else, there's no perfect situation. Both of them are awesome. Like being single is awesome sometimes. Being with someone that you can really appreciate and is a great teammate is awesome too. And I think one of the things that we struggle with when I say we I may be referring to me. <laughs> um, but what, how I feel like we struggle as a society 
is, oh, when you're single, oh, I just want to be in a relationship. And when you're in a relationship, oh, I just like, oh my God, I, I don't have time. Or this person's so needy or they're taking up, you know, oh, th- their values are so different or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we've just become accustomed to never being satisfied. Mm. And I think what you just said there about like your travel journey, your experience, the realizations that you've had, the journey, and which then sort of flows into the journaling and that practice. I think that's so good that you've been able to get there. Like it's so rare to meet someone that's gotten to, to that place. Yeah, I think that like it's interesting that the conversation has gone to to romantic relationships because I really believe that I think the conversation so often I took it there I, I did not, take it no, there. no 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 but I love talking about relationships I find romantic relationships so fascinating yeah they are yeah um, you can't talk about being single without talking about the opposite of that. Of course, of course. Or solo, yeah. Yeah, but I think that my time by myself really has allowed me to, number one, become really sure of who I am as a person and what I care about and what is important to me. So that is the first thing. The other thing is that it has really allowed me the the time and the space to work on myself and to become really proud of the person that I am. I'm also very aware of my weaknesses. And so when I come to a relationship, I come knowing my weaknesses and also knowing my strengths. I know what I bring to a relationship as well. And I think that so often we think about what we want to receive from our partner, you know, what to what type of person we want them to be like. And sure, that's really, that's really important, especially when it's in the context of our weaknesses, right? We want someone that is going to help us grow in that area. But I think it's also really important to know what our strengths are in a relationship as well, because in that sense, you can also stay really rooted and grounded in in who you are and your value in a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that my time by myself has really allowed me to get there. And I am quite recently single again, and it's been a process once again of coming back to myself because naturally when you're in a relationship with someone, of course you're influenced by them. That, that That's natural and it's normal and I think it's healthy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, every time I come out of a relationship, the question is, okay, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? What role did I play as well? By the way, my breakup was super loving and super amicable, but it's, you know, what role did I play and what do I need to work on before I go into my next relationship? And I think these are really important questions that people don't ask themselves enough. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure I've fully embraced all of those questions. <laughs> I can give you a list and you can journal about them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and journaling is something that I've struggled with as well. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, why have I struggled with journaling? You know what? Um, I grew up with um, health and fitness, you know, as a priority in my life. And that's on like on a physical plane. I have severely lacked an understanding of mental, emotional health and well-being and fitness and therefore prioritizing. So where you as a trainer might see that someone <clears throat> might be un- unfit when they come to you and like it's just like, I don't know. For me, as an observer of that interaction, I'd be like, oh, that person's really out of shape. Um, and it's like, like, didn't you start doing push-ups at 14 like me? 
it's bleedingly obvious once you know how beneficial something is and you experience the benefits of it mm. that it's something that you should build into your routine so yeah why i haven't started journaling is just because there's probably two things maybe i'm afraid to get to know myself and another thing is yeah it just hasn't hasn't been a habit that i've fully seen the benefits of whereas having done push-ups by the, since the age of 14 by the time i was 16 i could flex my pecs and i could show that off to my brother and i was like hey look what i can do you can't do and it's funny like it's funny right but i mean like you you don't necessarily see mental and emotional benefits as clearly as you see physical benefits from doing physical workouts does that make sense yeah i'm just making excuses again a little bit but you did say something that was really interesting is that you're kind of scared to go there to get in, to know in, myself in, yeah in a oh, nutshell yeah. i'm a dark girl like there's some <laughs> darkness in there yeah. there's just some like woo, raw pain and darkness yeah. in there from stuff just like everyone's experience is different and I just don't think I've dealt with certain things. Mm, yeah. And I'm admitting that to you. Yeah. Right now. And and, and everyone else that's listening. <laughs> In 52 different countries, people have listened to this podcast. There's a chance that people that don't even know me are about to hear about my wounds. <laughs> no, but um, I think that, well, I know that you're not the only one that is in that situation and I think that the majority of people don't start the self-development process because it's really confronting it means meeting yourself it means meeting your wounds it means really interrogating the deepest and darkest and ugliest parts of yourself it means accepting responsibility for, for situations that you would prefer to palm off to someone else. It is a deep process, but at the end of it, we become better people and we have better relationships. And I don't just mean romantic. I mean, friendship, familial, everything. We become better people in our relationships. We become better friends. We can hold space, like actually hold space. You can only hold space for someone else to the extent that you can hold space for yourself. And if you can't hold space for your own yeah, uncomfortable that. emotions, then how are you supposed to hold space for someone else's? And how are you supposed to have a deep and fulfilling romantic relationship if you can't hold emotional space for yeah. someone? Yeah, there's... Sorry for going harsh there. No, but, no. But it's, no, it's the way I mean, that I see it. Hey, yeah. listen, I, I wouldn't say that I'm at entry level of getting to know myself. I'm just saying that journaling is something that I haven't um, incorporated into my lifestyle. I 100% know in my heart of hearts that it will benefit me to no end, mm. but I've done a lot of work on like trying to figure this out and I reckon I've done a pretty good job of it, but I just think I've maxed out. Yeah. I think I've maxed out with like the, the mental understanding and I, f I feel like the journaling is how I might be able to take it to the next level because yeah. what you said earlier is that, and I'll compare it to my process, with my process being so mental and thought heavy without writing anything down, it's great and I've done a lot of it and I've, I think I've developed myself pretty well, but I think your process of continuing to ask why and doing that on paper that's a way that you can get that layer to that layer of depth that you can't necessarily do just mentally i feel like writing the stuff down and then seeing the progression of why's from like the first why to the 10th why um, i think that is something that you can't really achieve without having a pen and paper there yeah, I agree because like when the thing is when you write when you write something down you can 
or you can have some order to the narrative. Whereas if something is in your head, you don't always have control over your thoughts. So they go in 20 different directions and now you've lost what you're originally thinking about. Whereas if you're writing, you can bring things back. Oh, don't worry, it's everyone's. (laughs) But you can bring it back if you're writing. And I mean, you know, there are some people that, that really truly don't find writing therapeutic or useful that's fine but there's there's many other ways that you can also release sometimes like even there's an app that i actually use with clients called voxer it's a voice note app but you can also voice note yourself and sometimes talking it out gets the conversation out of your head it's still a release Mm. yeah my handwriting sucks by the way as well (laughs) oh so does mine (laughs) i'm like a doctor a foreign doctor a russian doctor my, my my handwriting changes, I think, about 53 times throughout my journal as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm concerned that they gave me my pen license at some point. <laughs> I think they should Go back to Greyland. Um, but, yeah, I think I subconsciously took us down the relationship level as well um, because I was wanting to kind of get there with you because uh, I know as a coach and as a trainer, you work on an individual And naturally, when an individual starts going through change or growth in their life, if they're in a relationship at that point, there might be an inflection point between them and the person that they're with. If the focus is all on me and my growth right now and these training sessions and these coaching sessions, what happens to that significant other, I think, is an interesting question. How do we develop ourselves within a relationship Or do you just think, hey, we just do our best work on ourselves when we're solo? Because I actually think that. Because we have more time for me. But you're giving me a smirk. People can't see that. I feel judged right now. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to judge you. It's because I'm trying to let you finish before I... Intervene. Yeah, say what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I find that concept fascinating. Like, how can we manage our relationships with others as we go through significant growth? I feel for some people, it's just the end of the road for certain relationships when they start to have certain light bulb moments and for others that really don't want that to be the case what are what are they dealing with is that is that something that comes up for you in your sessions kind of but it's usually that it was an issue beforehand and i think their process can just illuminate it right once they start actually taking greater action but i think the main question here is does that person match your future? Do they have the same values as you? If growing as a person and evolving as a person and becoming the best version of yourself is important to you, and if that's not important to your partner, even if their journey looks different to you, then what does your future look like? Because are you willing to sacrifice that process for another person? Because the reality is, for some people... It might not matter to them if their partner isn't on the same path. Maybe they have different values and priorities in a relationship and I'm, I'm not here to, to project my values onto someone else, right? So if someone is happy having a really different process to their partner, then that is fine. But if you want someone that you can grow with and evolve with and who really supports that process alongside you, if you're not with a person that is there for their own reasons as well, not just because you are. They've got to be driven for their own growth for them. Then I think that calls into question the relationship naturally. 
I think that there also are ways around it, though. I don't think it needs to be as black and white as I've decided that this is important to me. It's not important to you, so we're done. I think that that's too simplistic. I think that there is so much space for conversation in actually communicating that this is something that I am discovering is more and more important to me. And it's actually something that is really important to me that you're on board with as well. And is this something that you feel like can become a priority in your life and allow allow your partner the space to get on board instead of just dismissing them because you've decided first that it's what you want. And yeah, I mean, for me, I know that the ability to grow alongside a person is really, really important to me. And I know that my work on myself and becoming the person that I want to be is going to be a lifelong journey. I don't know what that will look like, but I know that it's important. So for me, it's important that my partner has um, the same values. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, sorry. I wanted to say the reason that I was smirking. <laughs> Go, please. Um, that Explain yourself. It is, <laughs> it is so common the idea that I have to love myself, I have to become the perfect person before I can enter a relationship, right? Yeah. And I do think that there is a space that is provided when you are by yourself to work on yourself that is not afforded when you're in a relationship. I'm absolutely acknowledging that. Mm. However, the work is in the action and you can know all of these things about yourself and have all of these ideas about how you want to show up in a relationship and all of that. But you don't actually get to practice it when you're by yourself mm, because you're just by true. yourself. You're not being triggered. You're not being challenged. You're not having to have difficult conversations with your partner. You're not having to compromise when you don't want. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're not having to, um, to actually you know, practice active communication, all of these things. Okay. That only happens when you're in a relationship. So for sure the a large part of the self work happens when you're by yourself. But unless you can apply it within your relationships, it they're nothing but nice ideas in your head. Mm, That's so true. That's so true. So that's what I always say, like the work is in the action. The work is in actually recognizing your triggers coming up and not acting on them. Mm-hmm. The The work is in having the hard conversations. The work is in managing mm-hmm. conflict differently to how you did in the past. That's the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. It's so, so true. You can't do that outside of a relationship. Like mm-hmm. I haven't been challenged once since my relationship ended, but I was triggered as hell towards the end of it. And sure, it's been a breath of fresh air just to get out of that space but yeah is the work that I'm doing on myself right now necessarily beneficial to my future relationships or just the future me that's such a good question and you know what I just feel like you and I could talk forever (laughs) and this is going to be the potentially the first eight hour episode (laughs) but I feel like we've covered a lot and there's probably maybe more episodes in the works for us we should just keep talking (laughs) Just split it into four, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But I'm mindful. I'm mindful that I'm trying to keep them under an hour and a half these days because I've been told that people only want to listen to them on their commute. And if you're listening right now, why don't you tell me how and when you listen to these episodes so that I know. Um, But yeah, I feel like you've given us so, so much really great, not only personal accounts, but advice. You've explained yourself so well. Um, you're obviously very passionate about the work that you do um, and you've got yourself to a really important place in your life where you you're content with who you are as a person which sadly is like not very common 
And I really admire that about you. And gosh, where does someone start? I guess that's that's the, the thing that I do in every episode is ask for one piece of advice, one last piece of advice. Where does someone start on that journey to get to where you are, being content with who they are? I think the only thing that maybe I haven't talked about yet is something that is a very strong theme in my life, and that is not being afraid to choose again that no decision that you make is the end destination. Because when they're choices that we make, we can always choose again. We often make decisions, whether it's about career, like whatever it is, and we think that that's it. No. If you don't like something, change it. We're not stuck in anything. Gosh, that's so good. You know why? Because sometimes, yeah, I feel stuck in things. And I don't know where that comes from, because you're so right. Don't be afraid to choose again. I've never heard anyone say that before. I didn't know it was a thing. You know, I've felt so much kind of guilt associated with having committed to something and then changing my mind about it. And yeah, like, there's probably a whole other... Maybe I need to book myself in with a psychologist. (laughs) But... But I think that's what it is. I think as, as humans, we're conditioned to make commitments to things. And if we choose again, because then we think that it means that we made the wrong decision the first time and that means that we failed in some way. Mm. When Or we lack commitment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we lack commitment. We made the wrong choice. We whatever. But yes. in reality, I just see it as just reorienting towards what you actually want. And if they're decisions that relate to our lives and we're the ones making the decision, then we're not stuck in anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Morgan, it's been so good just to sit out here under the night sky in Melbourne. With You've been having the beautiful backdrop, by the way. I've had such a beautiful backdrop. This is an ideal location. It's not raining. It's not super cold. Perfect day. <laughs> yeah, You've got the whole city, Flinders Street Station beautifully lit up. And I have, <clears throat> let's just say my view is not as pretty as you. <laughs> you dingy Southgate. <laughs> yeah. I, so I invited you to come out here at night. Um, so at least I've given you the good view. And thank you so much for gracing me and our listeners with um, so much of your wisdom today. have got so much of it. Thank you for having me on. My I, pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. We'd love to know what you thought of that episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and even TikTok to let us know. And be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave us a review on Spotify, where you can catch some of our other really great episodes. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time.